you know, being that constructive irritant and now being on the other side in terms of actually um, helping to lead an institution like this one, you know, we announced, I guess, about 10 days ago that we were getting rid of the CSS profile um, for any student in a high school that's 75% uh, free reduced lunch or more. That is squarely from my my uh, constructive irritant days, <laughs> and that's squarely from uh, spending all that time uh, in the college access space, knowing that we don't in the admission space, especially in the liberal arts admission space or the highly selective um, admission space where they use the CSS profile. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is a podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders that will help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. Each week, I partner with a journalist to have a conversation with a sitting college president, chancellor, system leader, or someone in the broader ecosystem who's really an inspiring leader. And the goal is to have a conversation to distill their perspective and their insights gathered from their leadership journey. Our hope is that this is inspiring and gives you something to look forward to each week. This episode, my co-host is Inside Higher Ed co-founder and CEO, Doug Lederman. Today we're joined by one of the more uh, interesting recent presidents uh, to join the ranks of higher education uh, in the last uh, while. Um, Nicole Hurd is the president of Lafayette College. Um, before that, she was the founder and CEO of the College Advising Corps. Uh, welcome, Nicole. Thank you. It's great to be with both of you. Well, we're so excited to be able to spend some time with you and a uh, longtime friend and so excited for this new chapter and um, wanted to be able to create space for folks who are uh, thinking about changing sectors. But also, I think you're just you have such a unique perspective, having been so uh, being an icon in the in the nonprofit space and now now moving into uh, presidential leadership. So I'm really hoping that today you can give us a sense of what the difference is like for you and um, the things that have been most surprising. So I guess we would start off with um, um, just how you're doing right now. And uh, could you give us a sense of, are you guys in person or how are you? Well, thank you, Bridget. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Um, I will say, you know, after going through um, the last several months in a pandemic, uh, it's great to be back on a college campus. We are here. We're in person. Um, I'm happy to report we have had not had a COVID case on campus in about six weeks now. So we had a little, a little spike in early September when we all got back together. Um, but we're doing well now. I think as you know, it is so important for us to see and hear and value each other and be together. And so one of the things I love about being on a college campus right now is whether it's faculty, staff, or students, there's this sense of recommitting to each other and there's a sense of belonging to each other. And there's a sense of we've gone through something hard. So now do we take the lessons learned um, and build back in ways that lift more people up and include more and allow us to really shine. So it's actually a really exciting time to be on a college campus. That's wonderful. Uh, I, just, I guess, can we just start off in terms of uh, going from College Advising Corps to the president of a very established top private liberal arts college? Can you talk to us about what has been so different for you? What has struck you the most? So, you know, those of you who've um, spent some time around me, I spent 15 years in the college access space, space I love, space that I'm still very much uh, a part of in cheerleading. Um, I also, before that, had spent a lot of time on college campuses. I started my career at the University of Virginia. Uh, spent some time at UNC Chapel Hill. And so, you know, when the opportunity came to come back to a campus uh, was presented to do this full time, I had to jump because the reason why I started the College of Eisenhower and did all that great work with amazing colleagues 
was really around being around students, right? It was about increasing opportunity. And while the work is and continues to be so impactful, I think I was in a place with my own journey uh, where I wanted to have those deep relationships again. So, you know, I think one of the things I would challenge us in the nonprofit sector to think about is there's so much pressure, and Bridget, you and I both know this because we've been road warriors before, and you still are, um, so much pressure to fundraise, so much pressure to scale, um, so much uh, time thinking about breadth. And I think I was at a point in my journey where College of Eisenhower was doing really well. Uh, my colleagues uh, were ready to fly without me. Uh, and I was yearning that depth. I was yearning knowing students' names. I was yearning being around faculty and their research. I was yearning around being a staff that was supporting a place in a beautiful way. And so I think to me, the first 15 years of this journey were really about scale and impact. And now I'm thinking about um, really depth and impact. And you know, I'll be a little feisty for a second and say for those of us in the liberal arts sector, uh, we can't yield the space uh, that college access is only for gigantic schools, right? Uh, we can't say that you can't be transformative uh, if you're small. You actually can be incredibly transformative um, at this scale. And so again, I think after doing a lot of breadth, it was time to do depth and it was time to prove to the world you can change the world um, from Eastern Pennsylvania, which is what we're doing every day here. Yeah, a lot of different directions we can go in there. I want to maybe come back to your personal journey in a minute, but but in terms of the sort of type of institution you're at now, talk to us a little bit about sort of what you see as, you know, there's there's talk about private liberal arts colleges being on the decline. There's talk about them not being relevant because uh, they don't historically serve tons of uh, students that we recognize in higher education most need to be served better. Talk why, why this place, why this sector? Yeah, so I think it goes back to, and again, I know uh, this will be a little bit controversial to some people, but I do believe in relationships, right? I don't believe in transactions. I believe in relationships. And I believe, and this was true of the College of Eisenhower, and it's true on this campus, we have to have the space and the time to see and hear and value each other. And we need to be intentional and we do need to do the work together. And I would say, the liberal arts space is underrepresented space in the college access world, right? They, we do have a lot of underrepresented first-gen and low-income students going to our campuses. We need to get more. But when they do get here, look at the graduation rates, right? They're high. Look at the impact uh, that we have in terms of uh, connecting to faculty. Uh, you know, our faculty to student ratio is 10 to 1 on this campus. Um, one of the things I love to see is how that interaction happens. You know, I'll tell you my first uh, four and a half months on this campus, one of my favorite things to do is go to class, not to judge or evaluate, but to watch the magic. My hope is that every student in the country would have that magic happen. And I know it's happening on this campus um, because I've seen it with my own two eyes. So I would challenge us, you know, as somebody that spent 15 years in the in the nonprofit connected to the higher ed space, um, space, and I've said this to both of you before, we do not celebrate the diversity in a higher ed sector the way we should. There's actually a great diversity in our higher ed sector and there's not just one place for everybody. And I'm here to say, wait a second, as we think about scale and we think about impact and we think about protecting our democracy, liberal arts colleges have a huge piece of that, not just because we do educate thousands of students, but because our students go out and graduate and change the world in really important ways. So again, I'm a little feisty about this. We're not going to yield the space. We're going to join hands with our bigger friends and with our community colleges and really make sure that this American higher ed tapestry is working for all students. Liberal arts colleges have to be part of that tapestry. So I'm curious about what you think in terms of the, uh, there's a, a pretty persistent drumbeat about the fate and future of 
private liberal arts colleges. And obviously, when you were making the decision about coming to Lafayette, you had to think about the future and what those trends are, you know, what is real, what is uh, perhaps hype. And I'm just curious about when folks ask you about what you see as the future, uh, how do you talk about it in terms of this entire sector that has been uh, treated as though it's a monolith and tr treated as though it's a dinosaur, which it is not. But um, I do think there's been some wide sweeping generalizations. I'm curious about how you rebut those. So, I mean, you just you just did it for me, Bridget, right? It's not a monolith and it's not a dinosaur. So again, there's a lot of diversity even within the liberal arts college sector, right? So we're not all the same. Um, and what I do love about all of us, and look, at there's a number of us here in, in Pennsylvania. When you put us together, we're a mighty engine, right? So again, I think it's, you know, if you look at us as um, kind of one school at a time, you'd say, well, these are small schools. What's the impact? If you start aggregating us together, we're serving a lot of students. And like I said, I'm really passionate about the fact that I know students' names on this campus, right? Um, as the president, I've been going and showing up in all sorts of places that matter, right? I've been going from everything to, you know, our arts campus and, and showing up for our students who are in the arts to, you know, I've been to every volleyball game and, and football game and field hockey game that I can get to. Um, been showing up, you know, in the library space, showing up um, in the classrooms. And so again, if you want to make sure that you have an education where you have engagement, uh, this is incredibly important space, and I'm watching students thrive, especially coming after a pandemic, um, thrive in ways because they have that connection to each other and they have their connection to that faculty. And I'm watching a staff show up every day to make sure that we can take care of each other. So, again, I think in a world where we say or too much, um, what I love about this campus is we're intentionally saying and, right? So it's not liberal arts or engineering on this campus, it's actually liberal arts and engineering. We have an engineering division. Um, it's not academics or athletics on this campus, it's academics and athletics on this campus. And again, I think we can be a beacon. I, I said this in my inauguration, you know, we're on a hill here. Uh, <laughs> you know, this 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 uh, college on a hill needs to shine more. We need to show everybody you can do and uh, and not or in a world that desperately wants all of us to say or right now. So there, there was, not. it's not very long ago that I think it was quite legitimate to question whether the sector you're talking about was committed to to diversity, to low income students, to and you know there's been a lot of activity in the last few years. Some of it from within, some of it through external pressure, like you know the Chetty data that really shined a light on 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 institutions that didn't enroll many students from uh, lower socioeconomic quintiles, et cetera. And we've seen initiatives like the America's American Talent Initiative and others sort of crop up. How, how do you see that moving? Do you think the external pressure has been helpful? Do you, uh, if, if sometimes uncomfortable, are you seeing sort of acknowledgement and, and commitment from the institutions that, that they need to do better? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about that question, Doug, is I was one of those, I still am one of those constructive right. irritants, right? <laughs> and I'm happy to be a constructive irritant. If right. you're not, if you're not uh, making some people uncomfortable, then then you aren't growing, right? And so I would say mm -hmm. this, uh, the American Talent Initiative, other initiatives, yes, I think accountability is important. And this sector needed more accountability in terms of how we were supporting uh, first-generation, low-income, and underrepresented students. That being said, I also love the fact in um, you, I think a lot of people saw this, you know, being that constructive irritant and now being on the other side in terms of actually um, helping to lead an institution like this one. You know, we announced, I guess, about 10 days ago that we were getting rid of the CSS profile um, for any student in a high school that's 75% uh, free reduced lunch or more. 
that is squarely from my my uh, constructive irritant days, <laughs> and that's squarely from uh, spending all that time uh, in the college access space, knowing that we don't in the admission space, especially in the liberal arts admission space or the highly selective um, admission space where they use the CSS profile, we have to stop making low-income students prove their low-income over and over and over again. It's demoralizing. It's demeaning. I would say it actually adds to an imposter syndrome before a student even gets to a campus because we've proven over and over again, we don't trust you. Keep verifying that you're low-income. Um, and so I think what I love about being in this space is I'm bringing the frame of being one of those constructive irritants now to being into a place where my peers um, and I can have these conversations and I can actually do something about it in a way that I couldn't do about it when I was in the nonprofit side. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do think, um, you know, and that's just one example of where, you know, some people will say, well, it's just the CSS profile. It's a small form. It's not a small form. It's actually a real barrier. Um, but what I think the lens I love about it is where else are we asking people to keep proving something uh, that we can prove by aggregate data, we can prove it by a high school. Um, and where do we start showing up where we say, no, no, the college journey, and you all know this, doesn't start when, when we move in. And it's not for four years, right? The college journey starts, and, and this is back to the College of Eisenhower, ninth grade, 10th grade, first time you talk to a college rep, first time you get on a website, first time you look at a, at a, at a financial aid form, it starts way before you ever step foot on a campus, right? So again, I think, yes, there's been progress in the liberal arts space, but as places that care about relationships, I'm going to keep questioning how are we showing up in the high school space? And then what we do really well, um, but we can always do better, is then how do we support after uh, the college space? Because again, it's not about the four years, it's about the journey. Um, and how do we think about our alumni? How do we think about first job, second job? How do we think about, this goes back to me being a pretty feisty, uh, big thinking person. Our impact's not just the 2,700 students that we have on this campus. Our impact is what they're going to do when they're done and how do we support them after their time at Lafayette. So again, I'm trying to ask us, let's think about the journey and not just the four years. I loved that change, and that was part of why I reached out to you. Is I saw that uh, I saw the article about the CSS profile, and so um, I was just like, "Man, she's back. She's up to it again. Didn't matter where she is. She's going to do it. I love it." Um, I am curious about how other leaders can follow this lead. How can uh, can you talk through for those who don't know what the CSS profile, perhaps add a bit more color, but mainly how can you see others who want to replicate this work? You obviously have a depth of understanding in this space that is unusual for a president. And so if other presidents want to mimic that effort, um, what exactly what kind of email do they need to send and to whom? And what do you see as the net result for that? So the CSS profile, just to give everybody a little bit of a deeper dive, is um, a supplemental. So you've already filled out your FAFSA. This is now another form. Um, and it's used mostly by highly selective schools and liberal arts colleges as another layer of information so we can make good decisions, right? Um, now, the reality is we don't need it uh, for a lot of different populations. And you know we'll see if we need it at all. I'm, I'm going to test that. But for low-income students, we don't need it. Um, so again, why are we asking people to keep uh, verifying their income status um, when we already know that their income status um, is at the low end of our of our economic bands, right? So, so it was um, really a decision made out of who are we as a culture? Who are we trying to be? How are we showing up? And what barriers are we putting up? And so what I'd say to my fellow college presidents is, 
First of all, you need to talk to your admissions and financial aid office um, and just see, do you really need this data or not? Again, uh, you both know this. There's a lot of data that we have at an aggregate level that a family would never have to go through this um, if we would just use some different data sets, right? A family would never have to go through this. Again, I'm really kind of getting excited about thinking about the high school as the unit of measure um, instead of the individual student, take the, the pressure off the family uh, for not having to fill out those forms. But I also say, Again, I think it's a culture issue. And how can we say across the higher ed spectrum, including you know our schools uh, that are much bigger than us, how are we showing up for our students? Um, and what are we asking them to verify? And how are we saying to them, you are part of this community? Again, I'm a big believer community starts before they get on campus. And so again, those interactions matter. Uh, and whether we, we say to students, we want you here, uh, you're going to be part of this family, you know, students and families are smart. If you don't call them family until they get on campus, they know it. <laughs> and if you keep asking them uh, to verify things and you keep flagging them uh, for all sorts of compliance, then they know they're not family. Um, and again, back to, I'm not a believer in transaction. I'm in, a believer in relationships. How do we make sure we're extending relationships as we enter the higher ed space? I guess the last question on like broader topics, I'm curious if uh, there are any, any things that if you look at the broader sector that we, we talk about a lot of the same stuff, I'm curious about what you think higher ed should be spending more energy talking about that they do not right now, uh, or if there's something we need to uh, focus on more. Well, I mean, Bridget, this is a lot of the work that you're doing so beautifully, right? I think back to making sure that we see and hear and value our students. And so, you know, whether it's thinking about the high school space, and how we support our school counselors, our families, our students, and, and wonderful people like college advice and court advisors make sure that every student has a post-secondary path. We're not, we're not done yet. We're not even close to being done. We still have so much work to do on the access side. And then the success side, right? This is the work that you do so beautifully, Bridget. It's about, you know, what is the experience once you get here? And again, I think why I was so attracted to Lafayette is I could see um, as I was kind of falling in love with this campus uh, through Zoom interviews, which you can imagine how interesting it was to go through a, a presidential search by Zoom. But uh, but you know, falling in love with this campus on Zoom starting last you know spring, and then coming to the campus and now being on it and living on it uh, every day, I fall more and more in love with this place every day. Um, but it's also about making sure that we're supporting our students, our faculty and staff in ways that lift them all up. And that's an ongoing challenge. And we have to have both And these, you all who know me, these are my kind of favorite words. Uh, it's around grace and humility um, and really listening and being in community. It's also around accountability, right? And how do we measure and how do we make sure that we actually do what we say we're going to do and that we stop doing things that don't work uh, and scale things that do. And that, that humility, that constant uh, belief in improvement uh, is something that I brought with me and something that I think um, uh, I'm excited to to watch the Lafayette journey continue to improve and strengthen as we commit to that kind of uh, work together. So pivoting back to uh, sort of your personal journey, as you called it before, uh, it'd be pretty easy and really mistaken to sort of uh, tag you as a non-traditional president, You, even though you've spent 15 years uh, outside the, you know, confines of the industry itself, but you have some experience and, and calling presence non-traditional can uh, be tricky because it carries some baggage in certain ways. So, but but I guess I'm interested in, in that journey and sort of what you had to either what what prepared you for this role specifically within within higher education, which I think requires at least an understanding of it and and of the culture and other things. And then what did what have you had to sort of 
relearn what's been the hardest or, or the most unexpected parts of the transition back? Yeah, you know, it's it's I'm squarely in my listing and learning phase, right? And and I've loved every minute of it. Um, but there's some muscles that that I'm working again that I that I hadn't worked in a while, right? Um, so you know, first time going back uh, to a faculty meeting, right? First time um, in a classroom for more than you know a visit here and there. I I did teach last semester at the University of Virginia. Um, so I, I had I'd not let my teaching uh, muscle go, but in terms of, of, again, being in community this way, right, and thinking about uh, student success, thinking about uh, our faculty and how we support them. We've got incredible faculty on this campus, but again, thinking about, you know, research and uh, thinking about tenure and thinking about how we hold each other up, thinking about service. These are all things that, you know, I'm very much aware of, but had not been spending as much time over the last few years thinking about. I would say, you know, I'm not sure I've had a lot of surprises, um, but what I have had is a renewed commitment to making sure, especially coming out of this pandemic, that we honored the shared sacrifice that happened during this pandemic. Um, and then we get ready for our next chapter. I mean, if, if you ask me what I'm most excited about, I think Lafayette's at an incredible inflection point um, because we've gone through something hard and now we get to recommit to each other and we get to plan the future. And I think other institutions are in the same spot. So I think there's a, a moment here where we're all saying, what did we learn um, and how do we come back after this and how do we think about the future? And, and again, this is where I get excited. The DNA of uh, institution I'm so honored to serve right now is very entrepreneurial. It does have some risk taking. As a matter of fact, I, I made a comment in my inauguration speech. Obviously, this place has got some DNA around um, entrepreneurship and risk taking because here I am, right? Um, and so I think there's really a sense of uh, reimagining where we can go. And that's incredibly, anybody who knows my time at the College of Eisenhower knows I'm not one to um, feel like uh, you ever stop. <laughs> you always grow and you always learn and you always keep building. Um, so I'm very excited to think about Lafayette's next chapter. And, and like I said, it's the whole space though. Um, how do we think about higher ed? Uh, Lafayette's piece of that is exciting to me, but I'm also excited about you know this liberal arts space. And again, not believing that you have to be gigantic to be transformative. One of the things I learned at College of Eisenhower is actually, if you don't understand context, um, if you don't understand local, uh, you can make some big mistakes. And I actually think all magic is local at some at some level. And so here we are um, doing doing the local magic on this campus. That's beautiful. I would. Uh, so I want to turn to what has helped you get here uh, a little bit further in terms of I, I know that you are always a student, always looking for inspiration. Uh, and I am curious about what what advice has been most fruitful for you that someone else gave you that you reflect upon in this journey right now? So I've gotten this advice a lot um, in the last few months, um, you know, transitioning from from the nonprofit space back into the higher ed space. But I think I, I wish somebody would have given this advice when I was in the nonprofit space, because I think it's it's actually life uh, advice. It's not just, uh, you know, sector specific. And Bridget, you'll appreciate this one. Uh, especially as a college president, but I think as a nonprofit leader, um, and I'm sure Doug, you feel this way too in your journey. It's not about managing time. Uh, there's not any any way to manage time in this job, right? It, it's it's not a job, it's a joy, it's a vocation, but there's, there's not a lot of time management that you can do. Uh, you're on all the time. 
so it's not about time management, it's about energy management. I thought that was an incredibly important and wonderful piece of advice that, that I've gotten a couple of times because it really is about energy management. And again, filling yourself up. And again, when I get a, a little bit personal here, but I think all of us, especially after and still in a pandemic, have challenged ourselves trying to find ways to, to fill ourselves up when we're alone so much or when we're isolated so much or when we're on video so much. Um, what I have learned in this position is that, and again, this isn't going to be surprising, uh, my love is students, right? My love is being around uh, this, this educational enterprise. My love is being in those classrooms when faculty and students are interacting. And so I have to, for every X or Y meeting I have, I have to make sure I've got time with students. I've got to make sure I have time in that classroom. And, you know, I was... Um, Friday night, we'd had a long week, but the, I went running at six o'clock in the evening over to our student center to judge a lip syncing contest, not because I have any ability to lip sync myself uh, and not because uh, uh, Lafayette's known for our lip, lip syncing uh, uh, alumni, but because I got to watch a bunch of students laugh themselves um, and smile and and that's it that's energy management right so if you ask me hey it's friday should you have been you know taking your shoes off and watching tv no i i was in the student center watching these incredible students laugh and love and have the joy to me that was absolutely energy management and i have to remind myself to do that all the time yeah i like that uh i'm not sure i've heard that quite put quite that way before and it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it because uh you're right we can't we can't really do a, there aren't that many ways we can do less and just like carve stuff out. So it's about how you focus on the right things. And, uh, you know, I'm curious sort of where you see interested in some, what kind of advice you've gotten in the past that has been most helpful to you? Um, is, are there, uh, I know you've had some good mentors, uh, but I'm curious sort of a little bit going back to the question of sort of what, what has prepared you for this moment? What, what has been, what has been the best advice you've gotten in the past that's helped you uh, do what you do. And just said, because I know that that was the slight nuance, but uh, I would drive it further in terms of what advice do you find yourself most frequently giving to others who are, uh, who are interested in leadership? Yeah, so it's the same two pieces of advice. So I will share both of them. Um, one is my dear friend and mentor. Um, those of you in the higher ed space will know know this name um, and know him well. Uh, Ed Ayers. Ed actually came for my inauguration. Was the speaker. Uh, I was fortunate enough that Ed was uh, the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences UVA before he went on to the president be the president of the University of Richmond. Uh, Ed was the first one that gave me uh, a job in in higher ed after finishing up my my PhD at the University of Virginia. Um, and I can remember a difficult situation came up and Ed said to me, um, you've got to follow your heart. Uh, and it's just been the best advice that, that anybody could give me. And frankly, I use it all the time and I, and I impart it on others all the time. But, you know, I think sometimes um, I believe we're most powerful when our heads and our hearts and our hands are in alignment. Um, but that heart piece, sometimes in academia feels a little too squishy or what do you mean your heart? Um, but we all know actually your heart's a huge piece of this. And whether it was um, the hard decision, frankly, to, to leave UVA um, and, and go off uh, to do the College of Eisenhower work, and he was absolutely instrumental in that decision as well. Um, following heart has never has never served me wrong. And actually leaving the College of Eisenhower, which again was incredibly hard, uh, since I was the founder, I spent 15 years with amazing colleagues building that up. But again, it was just follow your heart, right? I could I could feel the pull, um, and I really fell in love uh, with Lafayette and this incredible community. The second piece of advice, um, which is equally important, uh, is actually a good a good friend and mentor. Um, some of you might know this name, Melody Hobson. Melody uh, is now um, 
I think she's the first woman of color to chair the Starbucks board. Uh, she's an amazing, amazing uh, friend and mentor and ally. And she talks about being brave. And I will tell you, uh, you know, I have to remind myself all the time to be brave. Uh, and again, whether it's, you know, fundraising and asking somebody to invest, whether it was at the College of Eisenhower now here, whether it's, you know, asking a student to come on this journey with us, uh, whether it's getting uncomfortable, which we all have to do in our own ways uh, to kind of grow and, and evolve. I always have Melody in the back of my head saying, you can be, you can be bold, you can be brave. Um, you know, when I, when I, uh, got to campus, she had sent me a gift, uh, and it was that lovely Shirley Chisholm uh, quote, if they don't give you a seat at the table, you bring a chair, right? Um, and so she's just been a constant voice in my head about sometimes in life, it's really hard, uh, but you, we've got to be bold, we've got to be brave. That's how you make a difference. Well, I think that is the perfect advice for us to end this show. Thank you so much, President Hurd. It's so delightful to be able to call, finally call you that. And uh, for those of you at home, we hope this has been as inspiring for you as it has been for us. Uh, Doug, as always, thanks for being an excellent co-host. And for those of you at home, we will see you soon. <laughs>